Hey everyone, welcome back to Strange New Worlds, a science and Star Trek podcast. I'm your host, Mike Wong. I'm really happy to share that recently I joined the advisory board for the Nichelle Nichols Foundation, named after the dearly departed Nichelle Nichols, who played Uhura on Star Trek. The foundation was formed to carry on Nichelle Nichols' legacy by creating opportunities for young women and other people from historically marginalized communities in science, technology, engineering, math, and the arts. I'm so proud to be associated with this foundation because it's on a mission that I truly believe in. I know for a fact that watching Star Trek and seeing people who looked like me explore strange new worlds planted the seed in my mind as a very young kid that I could grow up and do that too. And so through my actions for this organization, I hope to help pave the way for a more inclusive and diverse future. You can visit nichellenichols.foundation to learn more about this organization and how you can chip in. Now today, I have the absolute honor and pleasure of speaking to a very special guest who is also on the advisory board of the Nichelle Nichols Foundation. Our guest today is none other than Walter Koenig, the actor who brought Pavel Chekhov to life in the original Star Trek series and seven Star Trek movies, and who has most recently voiced President of the United Federation of Planets Anton Chekhov in Season 3 of Star Trek Picard. In this very special episode of Strange New Worlds brought to you by the Nichelle Nichols Foundation, we get to ask the one and only Walter Koenig to reflect on his friendship with Nichelle Nichols and on her boundary-breaking legacy on screen and off. Engage! Walter Koenig, welcome to Strange New Worlds, a science and Star Trek podcast. It's such an honor to have you on board. Thank you. I appreciate that. So as you know, this is a science-themed podcast, and you've been a stalwart of the Star Trek franchise ever since the original series. I was wondering, how would you describe the role of science in Star Trek? Was it something that Gene Roddenberry and the rest of the Star Trek writers intentionally injected into the show, or was it more of an accidental byproduct of setting a show in outer space? No, I think they were very, very uh, conscious of the scientific basis and tried to be as consistent and as realistic as they could, you know, depending on time, money, and uh, all the other ramifications. But no, they were, they were very, very uh, aware, trying to make it as authentic as they could. That's really wonderful to hear, because these days there are, of course, actual PhD scientists on the staff helping to craft the stories and make sure that they are, uh, you know, as accurate as possible. But I wasn't sure about all the way back in the 60s when the original show was uh, being written and being filmed, whether or not there was that same intentionality to it. So it's so cool to hear that. Well, I know we had our German scientist after the Second World War. We had a fellow named Jesko von Putkammer. Hmm. I don't know if he, he was with us 
when we started making the features, I, I don't know if that's when he began or whether he was actually with us during the series days. I suspect that he didn't start until 79 when we started doing the movie, but he was definitely our German scientist. Oh, wow. So actually advising the writers for the features on the oh, science. Yeah. Wow. So, Waltz, you are one of the original Star Trek actors, but you're also one of the most recent Star Trek actors because you got to play President Anton Chekhov in the series finale of Star Trek Picard. And, and let me tell you, when I heard your voice in that finale, I gasped, I screamed. I was like, oh my God, I can't believe that this is happening. Tell me about how that role came to be. How did you get into Star Trek Picard? Well, you know, life is, and I have a, 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 a a history that I could that I could repeat, but I am not going to because that's not what this show is about. But of curious circumstances, of things that happen coincidentally, the things that happen without planning, things just in life. You know, we all we all go through this, and we we discover the path that we had set upon might not necessarily be the one that we end up taking because of coincidental events. Uh, in this case. I was walking my dog, okay? <laughs> and uh, I ran into a chap and uh, we started talking a little bit. It wasn't an extensive conversation, but it turns out to be Todd from Patrick Stewart's new show. Uh, the, Todd oh, Stashwick. Yeah, Stashwick, who, who plays the captain. And I don't know if it was on that instance or whether it was on a second time I ran into him. But he told me that the... Uh, the showrunner had something in mind for Chekhov and that he'd probably be getting in touch with me. I mm -hmm. think it was the second time because I don't think the idea occurred to him until Todd probably said, oh, by the way, and uh, Walter Koenig lives in my neighborhood. You know, I mean, I'm just putting it together. I have no idea whether any of this is, is the way it actually occurred. Uh -huh. So uh, several weeks later, I got a call from Terry, and they wanted to record and do a VO, a voiceover. I think I had the option of going in, or they would come out to my house. And I said, if it's just a VO, we might as well do it at my house. So Terry and a sound engineer and I think a script lady, they came to the house, and we, we did this several times. I mean, it was script that they handed to me. And I did it first with, with the accent, and then I did it without the accent. Because it wasn't going to be Pavel Chekhov, it was going to be Anton Chekhov, Pavel's son. And with in mind, the kind of a testimonial to the young actor who passed away. Right, uh, Anton Yelchin. Yeah, who I, I did meet and was very impressed with. A very nice chap and very talented. So it was that incidental. It was kind of like an incidental thing. You run into somebody, and before you know it, it becomes a whole different thing. It becomes, you know, a viable action. Yeah, I love how that story just started out with you walking the dog and running into a fellow Star Trek actor from a completely different generation and TV show from the one that you worked on. And then that materialized into a really awesome amazing scene uh, at the top of that final episode, which was just so epic to watch. You know, I knew it was playing, there's a uh, complex of buildings called The Grove. Uh, in yes, LA, and I've been they, there. 
have you been there? Yeah. And besides restaurants and food marts and everything else, they also have a movie theater. Mm-hmm. And they somehow uh, were able to appropriate the movie theater to screen this last episode of Picard. And yeah. I wanted to go, and I went through a third party who got back to me and said, they, they say they don't have room. It's only a 200-seat theater or 400-seat theater, and the line is two hours long. It's going to be two oh. hours. <laughs> so when I mentioned this to Terry, because I ultimately saw him again at a screening at Todd's house, he was, he was a little upset. He could have arranged for me to be there had I called him, but you know I didn't know him well enough to call him, and I didn't, I didn't think it was my place. So in any case, I would have loved to have been there. I would have loved to have seen the, the reaction because we had kept it pretty quiet. We had been very good about doing that. I certainly hadn't told anybody. And the reaction was quite spontaneous and quite enthusiastic. So it would have been good for my ego. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm still alive. Yeah, you're still alive. What do you know about that? <laughs> Well, I got to tell you, Walt, um, they also booked a theater here in D.C., uh, the AMC in Georgetown, and I was lucky enough to snag tickets to that, and that's where I saw it. Uh, that's where I enjoyed your amazing uh, VO in the in the finale, and did it's you know, everything you imagined. Did you know it was I was going to be in it? I had no idea. It was a complete surprise and the best surprise ever to, to hear your voice as the president of the Federation. <laughs> oh, just just so great. I mean, wonderful to hear your voice, but then also terrifying the words that you had to say. This is President Anton Chekhov of the United Federation of Planets broadcasting on all emergency channels. Do not approach Earth. A signal of unknown origin has turned our young against us. They have been assimilated by the Borg. Our fleet has been compromised, and as we speak, our planetary defenses are falling. Soul Station is defending Earth as best it can, but we're almost out of time. We have not been able to find a way to stop this Borg signal and unassimilate our young. But I know if my father were here, he'd remind us all that hope is never lost. There are always possibilities. Until then, I implore you, save yourselves. Farewell. I mean, it was just such a great little bit of acting. So congrats on that. Congrats on being in Star Trek Picard. Really wonderful stuff. Well, thank you. I I think that's way exaggerated, but thank you. You Actors are uh, never really complained about exaggerated approbation, you know? (laughs) It's a um, bottomless ego thing, you know, you just keep pouring it on and we'll keep accepting it. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> I'll keep dishing it out. But actually, let's uh, let's start talking about one of your fellow actors now, um, your dear friend, Nichelle Nichols, who portrayed Uhura in the original Star Trek series and films alongside yourself. Very sadly, Nichelle left us last year and uh, she also left behind an amazing legacy. So I was wondering if you could tell tell us a story from the time that you shared shooting Star Trek with Michelle that really exemplifies who she was as a person. Well, 
I'll tell you a story. I'm not sure this accommodates what you're looking for, but I had forgotten this particular incident until recently. And then anticipating questions about my friendship with Michelle, it came back to me. I mean, I just totally left my mind. You got to walk on the edge when you tell this story because it's, it's a little awkward, but I think our audience is uh, adult enough to uh, understand. You know, Michelle was the first person to uh, come up to me on, on the series. She was very friendly. And I was, for the first six or seven episodes, I wore a woman's wig. Mm. And yeah, my hair was quite short. And she made jokes about a bird's nest, you know, as people tended to do. But she was the first one that actually, you know, expressed a welcome to me, which I thought was really neat. But I think we, we, we made a, a lifelong friendship in a different situation. Uh, we were at a convention of some sorts, and we were ready to go on. We were backstage. We were all going on together, or at least she and I were going on. And some guy came up with a magazine, and he opened up the magazine, and there was a picture of Michelle in a very immodest pose. Not vulgar, but just immodest. And not necessarily to my way of thinking. I'm just trying to take into account the people who might feel a little um, affronted by the fact that she wasn't wearing any clothes. But it was a very, very old magazine. She was quite, quite young. And he said to her, is this you? And it sourced, it said, Michelle Nichols, you know, it was just a, a dumb thing to say. And I got furious. And I told him, I said, put that freaking thing away. And how dare you present that and under any circumstances? This was long, long ago. And I cowed him as I intended to. And he put it away and he walked away. And uh, she was quiet. She had said nothing during this moment. But about 10 minutes later, or after we had finished the conversation in front of the audience, she came up to me, put her hand on, my, on mine and said, thank you. And that mm. was it. And I do believe that that's where we forged our friendship, you know, on the basis of my support. And I thought it was great. I, I, I love that she felt that way. Yeah. It sounds like mutual support and friendship, the way she welcomed you yeah. into the cast at the beginning, the way that you supported her during those awkward fan run-ins at conventions. Yeah, that's, that's really the true basis of friendship there, that kind of trust. So Nichelle's character, Uhura, was very groundbreaking. She was a capable Black woman running communications on the bridge of a starship, which was simply unprecedented in the 1960s. How did Nichelle view her role at the time that she was playing it? Was she aware of its historical implications? I don't think she could have not been aware. Uh, there, there was a lot of articulation of the fact that she was, you know, in the cast. She was not the first black woman to appear in a, in a television series. You know that there was another actress whose name I can't remember, Carol something, whose lead in a television series it was a sitcom. But um, like all of us, she was an actress first and wanted more to do, you know, just like the rest of us. I didn't know at the time that George was having 
George Takei was having private meetings with Gene, and the shell was going in and having private meetings with Gene, each to boost their, their roles. And that was not shared information, which is certainly understandable, God knows. Being the uh, new guy on the, on the block, I didn't feel comfortable in, in making those suggestions when we were doing the series. I just went with the flow. When we did the first movie, I actually went in and once and I talked to Gene and he actually incorporated a couple of lines of dialogue that I had proposed to him. But I found from Michelle's book that you know, she had spoken to him. And like, as I said, like everybody else, uh, every other actor, we all wanted more to do. We all thought we were capable of more, you know, regardless of how uh, one of the uh, stars of our show I felt about us. So um, that's about all I know. You know, uh, she was very sweet to my son. Um, my son was a civil kid, and we met at several parties. And she met him, and I remember how, how warm she was towards him, and I appreciated her for that. And I had a couple of parties for the cast, and and she came, of course. Yeah, I have one. I have a picture of her, a snapshot, really, of her and Jean in, in costume. I had a costume party of sorts. I have it somewhere. I should look it up. I should try to find it. Sounds like the original cast stayed pretty close-knit together after the series ended. Um, I mean, I, I, I don't really know, but I've seen images, for instance, most of you at the uh, rolling out of the space shuttle Enterprise, for instance. That's a very famous photo where you all came out to that. Do you still yeah. keep in touch with with uh, the rest of the cast, those of you that that are still around? Unfortunately, there's only three of us left. There yeah. were seven irregular, irregular members. Bill never showed up to any of these things. He never came to the parties. He didn't come to the rollout. George, Michelle, and I had a party on the set for Leonard, a birthday party. And, of course, I asked Bill how he would like to contribute to it because, you know, we were paying for it. And he said he, uh, he had something in mind for, for Leonard that was just he and Leonard. And, so he sort of refused the invitation. Now, I, I, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to speculate. Besides, which it's, it's years and years and years since those days. And I really think it's beneath my dignity to backstab people at this juncture, you know? Sure, and, of course. And so I, I, I prefer not to. In, in any case, Nichelle is, was always a trooper and always great fun to be around. Uh, we hung out. We did some conventions together. We did a convention in New York, which was a mixture of a sports convention and Star Trek convention. And a very famous New York baseball player named Phil Rizzuto was one of the guests. He was a shortstop for the Yankees in the 50s. And he was one of my favorite players because he was short. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I got to talk to him. And Michelle was, was the other Star Trek guest. She, it was the two of us. So we hung out and um, we had a good time. That's really cool that your friendship with Michelle spanned so many years and decades. Uh, mm -hmm. I wanted to ask you a little bit about your role as Pavel Chekhov. That was also an incredibly groundbreaking role, a, a Russian starship navigator on an American TV show at the height of the Cold War. Do you also feel a certain responsibility as an actor for the role that you were portraying? It was never confronted with a situation where I felt that I had to uh, 
defend the character. Chekhov was a groovy, long-haired, in parentheses, fake hair. Uh, for, for <laughs> much of it, not all of it, but much of it. Pre-teen image character. I was there to appeal to the kids who wrote in pencil and line paper. And that's what my mail was almost entirely. Of all the mail that I received, and I received a considerable amount. I really did. I got these bags, these huge bags, because after the first season, we were on our own to pick up the mail. We didn't have a, a mail service. The show had a mail service and took all the mail initially and got a sense how popular the show was and the characters. But um, by now it was when I was started picking, and, I, and I, my intention was to answer it all, which was preposterous. If I take, <laughs> I take two minutes reading it and six minutes answering, I'll never get through it. <laughs> I'll never get through it. So after a while, I, I just gave up. But I got one letter, which from Idaho, which was a state that was always considered, I think, very conservative. And this guy was upset that there was a, a Russian on the show. But, you know, the thousands of letters that I received, this was the only one that I ever read that indicated that kind of thing. I mean, this is the character would say, oh yeah, it was invented by a little old lady in Leningrad. I mean, <laughs> you can't become antagonistic over that kind of dialogue. So I think it was Gene's intention to make him a non-controversial figure by kidding the, the, the nationalism. And then in the third season, he decided to abandon it entirely. So we didn't even use it in the third season, the, the Russian references. But I never felt like I was carrying a weight, that I was responsible for depicting this particular or portraying a particular kind of character. See, my sense is that what made the, the, the shows so available to everybody was, yes, the stories to a great degree, but not every story dealt with circumstances or situations that addressed a political agenda. But what did address a, a, an agenda that we were very, very enthusiastic about and which we, when I say we, I mean Gene Roddenberry wanted to promote was the multinational, multi-ethnic composition of the crew. Japanese-American, Russian, Scottish-American, Vulcan. All of these was an implicit statement that we, we achieved a time in history when we could all relate, we could all get along, when we all cared for each other when we would put our lives on the lines for each other. That picture, that picture of the, of the cast on the bridge was really what the show was saying. And of course the stories each were inventive and, and different, but what made it such a, an embracing hour was how we had achieved the time when we, we were all getting along. Right, I feel like that representation, that diversity, that inclusion that you see implicit on the bridge of the Enterprise in the original show is just so powerful. It's what makes Star Trek 
very unique and uh, compelling to a wide range of audiences. That kind of just you you being there and being an amazing navigator on the bridge of that ship. Uh, Nichelle being there, being an amazing communicator, and George, uh, you know, as the helmsman, showing that people of all different backgrounds can achieve their highest potential was really moving, I, I think, even to this day, especially for your character, you know, given the renewed tensions between the U.S. and Russia via the war in Ukraine. I mean, like, you know, I, I've got Russian colleagues, and it's so important to remember not to dehumanize somebody on the other side of a conflict just because, you know, they're from a region of the world that is in a geopolitical war with where, you know, your home is. And that's sort of very easy to do, especially if you get swept up in all this media. But to remember that those are human beings on the other side there, and they may dislike uh, what their government is doing just as much as you do. Um, that's very important. So I feel like the the character of Chekhov has taken on, you know, a renewed importance even in this present moment. Yeah, good. Yeah, that certainly was the intention. And Anton, the young actor who plays Chekhov in the movies, was Russian-born, I think, or was came here when he was one years old. I'm not quite sure about that. But terrific, very talented actor. He had been here for such a long period of his life that he was American. You know, he was Russian-born or... We had his parents were from Russia, but he was definitely an American, you know, in every in all the good senses of the word. And God knows you got to be careful because there are a lot of senses of the word. That <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So after Star Trek ended its original uh, three season run, Nichelle was a popular icon, and she went on to work for NASA, diversifying NASA's applicant pool. Did you follow her work for NASA as her friend in those days? And if so, do you remember anything about her role for that organization? I, I really must admit to the fact that I was not involved uh, with, with her career at that point. You know, there was a period in the 70, when we were canceled, late 69, I think it was, to when we started the first movie in 79, when we all went our separate ways. As we, what happens with the people who are you know, in close contact uh, working on a project, you know, we're still actors, we've got to survive, we've got to find new venues and new opportunities. So uh, I knew that she was doing this stuff. And when we started doing conventions, we, you know, we talked, but we really didn't get too involved in the stuff we were doing outside of our careers. I was closer friends with, uh, with Jimmy and DeForest. I had a lot of conversations with DeForest. He was a great, great guy. He was the one actor among us who was able to move from the three star system to the supporting cast system with fluency, with, uh, with ease. Never a problem for him. So we had lots of conversations. So I personally point to Star Trek as a major source of inspiration for what I do as a planetary scientist and as an astrobiologist. Do people come up to you and tell you that your character inspired them to go into their career or that maybe Nichelle inspired them, that Star Trek in general inspired them? Well, I tell you, the forest had a lot of people talking mm -hmm. to them about being doctor. Jimmy had a whole lot of people talking to him about being an engineer. I'm sure Nichelle did as well. 
I'm sure Michelle did as well. I know there were, you know, that she was a huge favorite of African American people, as well she should be, I think, because there were so few opportunities. I remember something that has nothing to do with your question you're asking, but it is <laughs> it's, it is a Michelle moment. Okay, go for it. Okay, so there was an, an occasion, and I bet that nobody in the cast remembers this except me. Well, maybe I'm wrong there. Jean had a, a celebration of some kind. And I remember that he hired Burgess Meredith, the actor. I don't know if you know who he is, but Burgess Meredith, of course you don't. You're not 60. <laughs> you're not even 50. <laughs> Burgess Meredith was a, he did several Twilight Zones. Okay. And there was one about a person who was left, he's left alone in the world, but he's such a great book reader. He loves to read. And he has all the books in the world to read now, except he breaks his glasses. And that's the way the story ends. So anyway, Burgess Meredith had a great career in the theater. I did a, an episode of a series called Mr. Novak in which he played the principal and I was a student. So Burgess Meredith, uh, he was narrating this, this evening and Michelle, had been hired by Jean to do a dance. I think to sing and to do a dance. And uh, she was all dressed up and she was dancing. And it was lovely, it was just lovely. And the strap on her dress broke. And what a trooper. She held it up with one hand and continued the dance the entire time. She oh, never wow. let go. Yeah, it was great. I thought, yeah, there's a pro. There's a pro who knows how to handle situations. Thanks for that story. So speaking of that wonderful pro who knows how to handle every situation, you and I both sit now on the advisory board for the Nichelle Nichols Foundation. Walt, tell me how you got involved with this organization. Well, so far they haven't called on me to do anything. <laughs> Except this podcast. <laughs> yes, this is the first. This is the first thing. But Sky Conway, who is one of the um, leading voices in the foundation, and who was, it was through whom I met Michelle. They knew each other, and I met Sky on one of our, our one of our movies, and we've been friends for thirty years, thirty five years, maybe forty years. So, and I did two of his independent Star Trek movies playing Chekhov. Um, and Michelle was, uh, was in at least one of them with me. We played opposite each other. So it was through him and through my love for Michelle, you know, what a neat person she was that I uh, said, yes, I would be happy to be involved. That's awesome. And what excites you about the Michelle Nichols Foundation? What do you hope to accomplish as a member of its advisory board? Hopefully there will be civil programs that I support and which would require some uh, participation, you know, uh, human rights programs, civil rights programs. I've always been uh, very much to the left and definitely a left person. I'm not left-leaning, I'm there, you know. <laughs> yeah. And I occasionally get some email e that chastised me in not the most flattering terms for my participation in such things. I'm sure the foundation will address 
humanitarian circumstances, and I'd be happy to support those. Yeah, the foundation's main goal is to maintain Nichelle's legacy of increasing the participation of women and minorities in science, technology, engineering, art, and mathematics. Uh, there are a couple of really interesting events coming up. There is a speaker series that happens online virtually. They're raising money to send young girls to space camp, and I believe it's a special Star Trek-themed space camp, which is really cool. Uh, and then they're also sponsoring events at pop culture conventions. So I'll be at one in June called called AwesomeCon in D.C. on a panel uh, with some fellow scientists of color talking about how we uh, were inspired to go into science through Star Trek. And I don't know, maybe, Walter, uh, do you have any upcoming events or conventions that you're going to go to this year that folks would like to know about? Well, in conjunction with what you're saying, I'm doing a convention in Phoenix in June, the first weekend in June, I think it's the first weekend. And there's going to be a table set up for the foundation. So I'll be spending some time there as, as, you know, as well as doing my own thing. But Sky will be there and will make people more aware of what this movement is. Now, many of the Nichelle Nichols Foundation's events are geared towards kids, girls and young people of color. For you, Waltz, why do you think it's so important to engage people at such a young age? Well, I just think, you know, science is an, an extremely important element in our lives. I'm a total believer in, in science. The people who, are, who debunk it or uh, castigate those who, are, who identify with it and work with scientists, I think, are mis misled. Those people should need to be educated. I mean, we don't have science, and if we don't have we're not in control of what we can control. If we can't do better with the environment, we're going to have a very sorry situation. In fact, we, we're, I think we're on the perimeter of a time when the entire planet is in danger. And I think we must be more conscientious about making this a livable place for everybody, people all over the world, for humans and animals and every, and every living thing. We cannot take the attitude that it's fake, that it's political, and that it's some kind of evil money-grubbing promotion. Uh, we, we, we've got to see it for what it is, and it's, it's vital to our existence. Science is vital to our, not only our existence, but our progress to becoming a, a healthier, stronger, friendlier place. Yes, absolutely. I'm right there with you. I think it's so great because one of the coolest things that I learned from our conversation today was how Pavel Chekhov, the character, was originally introduced to Star Trek to appeal to the younger folks who are watching the show. And you continue to speak to young folks through things like the Nichelle Nichols Foundation, helping run this foundation and participate in its events to really inspire the next generation of scientists and just people in general. They don't have to grow up to be scientists, but they should grow up to be, as you said, science literate and understand the factors that 
are at play in our world and how we're all a part of that and what we can do to help. So that's really, really amazing. Well, you know, I, I always say, if I have to be identified with one show, I mean, an actor is, you know, wants to work in his, have a variety of opportunities and play a variety of characters and, and establish an identity that people will, will see that there's versatility there. In, in, in the talent. But if I have to be identified with just one show for my entire life, at least my adulthood, it might as well be Star Trek because I believe in what it believes in. And uh, I'm proud to be considered part of the variegated complexion of the show. The fact that we are, that the ethnicity, the nationality, the racial complexion that every that we represent everybody and that's a plus that's a very positive thing and i think that's what our democracy stands for these situations where i'm i'm asked to participate i have no compunctions about it i just think it's it's great i'm sure nichelle would feel the same way just one last question about Nichelle for you, Walt. Um, after decades of tremendous work on screen and off for NASA, for Star Trek, Nichelle definitely made an enormous impact on many people's lives, on society, and on your life as well. So how would you describe Nichelle Nichols' legacy? So much about Nichelle was just positive. I mean, she didn't have to become involved with NASA to be the person that she was. She was just such a warm, generous, personable individual uh, that you just couldn't help but being charmed by her and feel flattered that, that she considered you a friend. That's what I take away. I take away a, a, a member of my family. You know, She was part of my family. Walt, do you have any current projects that you'd like our audience to know about? Staying alive. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 86 years old. God. <laughs> 86 um, years young. <laughs> I'm on page 138 of a novel. So I guess <laughs> I don't know if I'll finish it before I die, but um, I'm working on it. Well, I, I certainly hope you do finish it. And I'd love to read it when it comes out. If this book is any good, and it, it, it's conceivable that it, it won't be, I am devoting a great deal of focus to finishing this and seeing if I can sell it. It is not science fiction. It's a very kind of complicated plot line involving, are you ready for this? Here we I'm are ready. talking about humanitarianism involving a serial killer. <laughs> <laughs> but it, I go back and forth in time, the protagonist, the antagonist, I introduce very early in their lives, but at the same time, I'm telling the story of the victims uh, in present time. And then I tell this story first of the, the victims from their point of view, and then I tell it from the point of view of the antagonist and the protagonist. So it's it's a kind of a, there's a, a time element involved. I am trying to be very introspective about what makes these people tick, what their behavior is, why they are the way they are. I hope it isn't academic. I hope it is 
is involving and that people will be uh, interested in reading the, the, the book. Anyway, beyond that and some personal appearances that I have coming up, I don't have anything really salient to discuss. I wish I did, but uh, you get to be 86, the opportunities are very limited. Well, I'm sure you're doing the most that you can with those opportunities. And I'm really looking forward to this book of yours. I uh, can't wait to read it. Okay. Got to finish it. And then I got to sell it. <laughs> yeah. Last thing. Do you have any questions for me as a planetary scientist and an astrobiologist? Well, if I was better informed on what you do beyond your titles, I might have some intelligent questions. But uh, it's very general in my mind what a planetary scientist is and an astrobiologist. Well, I, I can quickly summarize it by saying I, I do what you know, I aspire to do by watching you on your show, you know, to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life. That's basically the driving force, those scientific questions, you know, what is out there in the universe? Are we alone in the universe? Um, you know, seeking out other forms of life to try to get to know what our place in the universe is. Let me ask you, what do you think? Do you think we're going to find something? <laughs> That's a great question. I really hope so. As a human being, I hope that we are granted that opportunity to be mind blown by another life form out there. Whether or not we'll find it, I I, I don't know. As, as a scientist, you know, I always try to let the data speak for itself, and we simply just don't have enough data yet. We've just barely scratched the surface of trying to explore these strange new worlds. You know, we've sent a few probes to Mars, you know, a couple to the outer solar system. We've barely begun to understand the chemistries and the physics of worlds that orbit other stars in the night sky, the exoplanets, as we call them. What we really need is warp drive <laughs> so that we can go and get up close and personal. You know, we need the enterprise and we need a good Pavel Chekhov to navigate us to these strange new worlds. But uh, right now we're doing the best that we can with our purely robotic spacecraft. Of course, we're planning to send humans to the moon um, again soon and then maybe on to Mars after that. But uh, I think given how little we know about the cosmos at the present moment, it's so hard to tell if we'll find something truly alive out there. You know, I think about space, deep space. I think about the astro. Forgive, it's not meant to be a pun. The astronomical numbers we're talking about in where other planets are and how we would ever reach them and will we ever actually make contact? I mean, I, I, I cannot, I don't have a concept of how we came to be. I mean, right. I know the big, big, big bang theory and, and that, but that seems like such a broad label, you know? I mean, you probably have a much more detailed sense of, of how that all occurred, but I have such a tough time. I mean, it's like infinity. How do we grasp the sense of infinity? I don't know. So my first, as a child, and I'm talking nine years old, my first, ideal was to become an astronomer. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Oh, God, yeah. And then when I was about 11, I found out how much math was. <laughs> <laughs> I said, that's it. 
Not for me. <laughs> now, four is what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Look, uh, I mean, so you're absolutely right. What you said about how do we grasp how we came to be? That's another really big scientific question. The origin of you know, how do planets form? And then once you have planets, how does life originate on a world? These are still open scientific questions. And they really, really, really matter because, you know, we talk about this infinite possibilities of out there, you know, billions upon billions of stars and planets. And you think, how could there not be life? But we also have no idea how life comes to be. And if the probability right. of life is super small, exceedingly small, maybe we are the only ones. Or maybe the universe is teeming with life as Star Trek predicted it. But the wonderful thing that science has shown about the universe that Gene Roddenberry imagined back in the 60s, we didn't know of any planets outside of our solar system. We didn't know that there were planets around other stars, for sure. We hadn't discovered any. But uh, Gene and the writers just you know, assumed that there would be a brand new planet to explore every single week. And through astronomical advances, amazing telescopes that we've built and launched into space, we now know that there really is a new planet to explore every single week. We've found over 5,000 so far. We haven't found life yet, but uh, one day, fingers crossed, maybe we will discover a telltale sign of life. Now, I did see a headline about discovering moisture on a planet. So we have found evidence of water vapor in planetary atmospheres, even in exoplanet atmospheres. So that's a really good sign that we can find the molecules that are relevant to life as we know it. Uh, those discoveries were on planets that were big and puffy, sort of like Jupiter-sized and very, very hot. So um, at least we know that our instruments are capable of finding those types of molecules. But what we need to do next is try to find water vapor on a temperate, roughly Earth-sized planet, and we haven't done that yet. So stay tuned. <laughs> Indeed. Well, Waltz, thanks again so much for joining me on Strange New Worlds. This has been a pleasure, an honor, a thrill for me. I learned so much from you, um, reflecting upon your career, as well as your good friend, Nichelle Nichols. It's just been a blast. Great. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's not every day that you get to speak to one of the actors from the original Star Trek series. I've had the pleasure of seeing George Takei in the flesh a few times, and of course I've watched William Shatner take the stage at Star Trek conventions, but this was my very first time interacting with Walter Koenig. And wow, am I still buzzing from our chat. He was such a sweet guy, so thoughtful, so genuine. And I just loved that he was super interested in the science that I do, too. I only had the chance to meet Nichelle Nichols once. I was in college at the time, attending one of my first Star Trek conventions. When Nichelle came on stage, she spoke about her work diversifying NASA. And this was the first time I'd ever heard about that part of her career, and I was floored. Because there I was, just a nerdy college kid, dreaming of one day working for NASA, propelled by my love of Star Trek. And here, on stage, was a person who literally embodied both of those things, sublime stories from the future and gritty real-world progress. 
Nichelle's signature was the first autograph I ever got at a Star Trek convention. And even though Uhura was never really my favorite character, and I hadn't even seen all of the original series episodes at that point, it just felt right. Because of who she was. Because of what she stood for. When I got to her autograph table and she, for the briefest of moments, turned her attention on me, I could feel that warmth, that grace, that joy just radiating at me. This was a person who was truly larger than life. You can help honor Nichelle's legacy too by contributing to the Nichelle Nichols Foundation at nichellenichols.foundation. Your donations will help sponsor opportunities for kids of historically marginalized communities to chart their own journeys in science, technology, engineering, math, and the arts, and to access space, the final frontier. Thanks, as always, for listening to Strange New Worlds. Until next time, stay safe, stay curious, and I'll see you out there. careful not to wander because that's that's what happens at my age.